This is Trinity Western University's Chapel Podcast, where our daily chapel gatherings are captured and shared for the TWU community. Whatever your day looks like today, we're glad you're tuning in. third year in a row, I remember the conversations we've had, every single one of the six talks we've had together. I'm glad to be back. I didn't go to Trinity Western University. Everyone's like, so you graduated from Trinity what year? I'm like, I didn't go to Trinity Western. They look at me like it's like somehow, like I've hurt their feelings or something like that. I went to Simon Fraser University because I didn't grow up in this area. I grew up in the Tri-Cities in Port Coquitlam. I went to Terry Fox Secondary School, hometown hero. And um, I went to Simon Fraser University. I studied uh, studied English literature and business administration there. And I remember, um, I remember commuting up to school uh, with my buddy Chris, my buddy Jared, and my buddy Matt. And it was a pretty interesting commute because Matt is, um, Matt, how do I explain Matt? Matt is the smartest person I've ever met in my entire life. When he was in his third year of his undergraduate, he was given uh, a salaried PhD study in evolutionary biology in the States. So second year university, he's being offered to get paid to study. And then he was the youngest professor in his department at UBC right now teaching evolutionary biology. So there's Matt, and then there's my buddy Jared, and Jared's a beauty. Jared is like, was like ex-Catholic, but like still deeply connected to his Catholic roots, but kind of exploring Jesus, kind of walked away from the faith, followed the faith, so there's that. And then our buddy Chris, who had no church exposure at all, and I'm spending my undergraduate almost most weekends driving or flying to different youth conferences where I'm speaking, and they know that I go around talking about Jesus. And meanwhile, Matt's going around talking about all whatever he talks about, and, you know, Chris is just partying on the weekends. And I remember when I started dating Rachel, the reason why I moved to Langley is because I wanted to marry the pastor's daughter of CLA. And, um, and so, like, I just relocated my whole life to Langley. And, uh, and we got married. It's been great. We got three kids. Everything worked out fine. I worked at CLA until we got married, then I quit. And then a few years ago, I took a job back there, and now we're planting this church. And I just remember driving up with Chris all the time, and Chris wanted to ask him this question. He didn't really understand what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. He was confused why he kept ending up surrounded by people who were Christians. And he'd always ask questions, especially when I was, like, dating Rachel. Like, he was just curious. He's a bit of a womanizer, as they say. And he would be like, so let me just get this straight. Like, are you and Rachel allowed to? And then he'd go dot, dot, dot. And he just wanted to get really specific about the physical boundaries that Christians have around relationships. He's like, are you allowed to? And then I'm like, well, it's not that we're necessarily— it's not that simple, you know, we just had these conversations. And I remember one thing that he said that was interesting to me. He said, Christianity, or maybe he said church, is not for people like me. And I think what he meant by that was he goes like, Jay, you know how I spend my weekends, you know who I am. And like, so I'd invite him to something like Alpha or to church or we'd have a conversation about faith. And it was almost like, Jay, like, what are you doing? It wasn't that he was offended that I would talk to him, but he's like, you know that, like, I just wouldn't fit in that. And that's a really sad idea for me because Jesus was famous for hanging out with people who the religious institution marginalized, it, marginalized and said, you don't belong here. And I'm not, this isn't hyperbole. This is literally what Jesus was known for. Jesus' reputation was what? That he hung out with sinners and outcasts and prostitutes. This was his reputation. And then as far as Chris's understanding of Christianity, 2,000 years after the time of Jesus, his understanding of Christianity is it's not for people like that. 
And so the question is, how did the reputation change of Christianity so much over the last 2,000 years? Like, how is it that something that was inaugurated by and done in the name of somebody who was famous for telling people like Chris, this is for people like you, how is it possible that 2,000 years later, the reputation is that if you don't follow certain forms or customs, you're outside the religious institution? So the, the, the text that I want to look at today and tomorrow addresses some of these themes. And I'm, I was nervous about using this text because it's a text that if you grew up in church, and I realize that not even the majority of people here necessarily grew up in church, but probably around 50% of you did, and which means that 50% of you heard this story a number of times in Sunday school, and it's dangerous when we reapproach stories that we think we know because we often find ourselves missing what's really going on. And I think what I found in this particular story is that this is more scandalous than I remember as a Sunday school student. It's more fascinating. It's more confusing. There's way more going on. So I want to read this story. And this story is about um, a lot of things. It's a story about wealth. I thought maybe we should just talk about wealth. I think that we don't talk about enough. But it's a story about wealth. It's a story about how lives are changed. It's a story about how cities are changed. It's a story about who's in and out when it comes to the kingdom of God. And like every story in the Bible, it's ultimately a story about what is God like and what is his mission. So let me read this story to you. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says this. He, talking about Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, I just want to... Tomorrow, I want to talk all about the theme of liberation and captivity. And so if you want to listen for those themes, that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. Today, I want to talk about one word, and the word is seek. For all the Quidditch fans in here, I'm talking about seekers. Shout out Harry Potter. He entered Jericho, so watch for the word seek. He entered Jericho, was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, or sorry, when they, talking about the crowd, when they saw it, and it being Jesus inviting him to his house, When they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And then it says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since this man is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite nickname for himself, it's actually like a prophecy from the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, Daniel. so he loves calling himself the Son of Man. So he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Who's the seeker in the story? Who's the primary seeker in the story? On first pass, we see Zacchaeus searching for Jesus. I love the detail that the author chooses to put. Like, you got to know that 
these authors were smart, and they, they wanted to paint pictures, and everything they say is trying to say something. And so whenever they give a disproportionate amount of time to something like he climbed up a sycamore fig tree, we got to ask the question, why are they giving us that amount of details? Because he could have just said, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, or Jesus was at Zacchaeus' house for lunch. Could have gone there. But the author's trying to show us something. Is trying to show us that Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. And he paints this picture of Zacchaeus being too short, so he's seeking. And it's almost as if we're meant to see that he's having a hard time getting a clear picture of Jesus. He's having a hard time getting a clear picture of Jesus, and so he seeks after him, even to the point where he climbs up a sycamore fig tree. And why sycamore tree? We're meant to see the picture of this tree that has these big branches that he could be sitting on. So it's this picture of a guy so desperate to see Jesus that even to the embarrassment of the people around him, he climbs up a tree just to get a pick of, or a, a, a better look at Jesus. So first question, why? Why is he seeking a better look of Jesus? We don't know exactly. Perhaps. Perhaps he had heard the gossip that Jesus was hanging out with people like him. At this point in time, news is a small area that Jesus traveled in and around. It wasn't a big area. And so gossip would have spread about who Jesus was hanging out with and what he was doing. So perhaps Zacchaeus heard that there was a religious leader who was spending time with people like himself. And so perhaps that's why he wanted to see Jesus. But he didn't want to necessarily, like, have a conversation with Jesus. He just wanted to get a better look at Jesus. I also wonder if perhaps Zacchaeus had found himself dedicating his life to the pursuit of profit. We learn two, three things about Zacchaeus. One is that he's short, second that he's rich, and third that he's a tax collector. So he had given his career to exploit and extort people through the Roman tax collecting business to achieve great wealth. And I wonder if he found himself at one point in his life where he's saying, somehow I've got the thing that I always wanted, but it's not satisfying the needs of my heart. And that's something we all have to wrestle with. We all have to wrestle with what is it that we believe that if we achieve it, it will satisfy the longings of our heart. Because I, I don't think we ask enough, like, why is it that our hearts long for things like prominence, or significance, or purpose, or meaning, or to be loved, or to find joy, or, or, or intimacy? Like, there are these deep longings of our hearts that sometimes we don't pay enough attention to. Instead, we just distract ourselves from it. And we can find most of our pursuits, everything you're going after, if you pull the thread of that pursuit, you're going to find a heart longing. You're going to find a heart longing. I wonder for Zacchaeus if he, if he found himself getting the thing, profit prominence in his position, and find himself still longing more. So he went seeking after Jesus, to get a look at Jesus. I want to say this to you guys today. I think it's hard to get a clear look at Jesus here in Langley. Like, I want to urge you to seek God, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. I mean, at this, this is the, the right time in your life to seek God. And the invitation of Jesus is like, if you seek me, you'll find me. You know, knock and the door will be open to you. Like, there's this invitation to seek God. I think we should seek God. But I think it's particularly difficult. I think it's difficult to actually get a clear picture of Jesus for a couple reasons. One, we get in the way. In the text, we see that Zacchaeus was short, so he couldn't get a clear picture of Jesus. We get in the way all the time of seeing not just Jesus clearly, even other people. We're constantly projecting our own view of the world and our own preferences on everybody around us. And so when I meet you, it's hard for me to actually see you and know you because I'm interpreting you through the lens of all of my preferences, all of my experiences. And it's hard for you to even meet me 
Even in marriage, I've been married for 10 years, and there are days where I feel like, man, I feel like I'm finally meeting Rachel, and she's finally seeing the real me. Because it's hard to see over ourselves. And I think so often when we read the Bible, particularly about Jesus, we are projecting onto him the God that we want him to be, or the historical figure we want him to be. And we have to challenge that. We have to think about what lent, like, because here's the thing. Whether you believe God is real or not, or whether you believe Jesus, like, but ultimately at the end of the day, like, if Jesus is God, if he is God, we don't decide what it is he's like. He gets to reveal himself to us. And so I think it's good to wrestle with the tensions in Scripture, to wrestle with why does Jesus do this or this or this, but at the end of the day, we can't project our own desire for what we want God to be like on Jesus. We have to ask the question, what is the revelation that Jesus came to bring to the real him? So we, sometimes we can't see over ourselves, but it's also hard to see over the people. There are so many people using Jesus for their political agenda right now, for their moral agenda, that I just wonder for somebody who maybe never ever read the Bible before, or even those of us who have in part, how do you get a real vision of Jesus? Like, I find myself, even reading the story, and I hope I do a good job over the next two days, showing how shocked by the real Jesus in this story. Not even com- I'm not even comfortable with the Jesus in this story. I'm uncomfortable with the way he treats Zacchaeus. It threatens me. It threatens my lifestyle. It threatens my perceptions and the way I've divided up the world. It's hard to see because so many people use these different political agendas and there's so many different views of what Jesus is like and we have to go to the actual source and just see what is the Jesus revealed in scripture. And I just even think here in Langley, you walk into a suburban middle-class church where people pull in in their nice cars and attend a one-hour service and then go home. My goodness, the chance of getting the wrong view of Jesus here it's hard. So it says Zacchaeus. The text is clear. He wanted to get a better look at Jesus. He wanted to, seeking to see what Jesus looked like, what he was like. And I just want to encourage you, seek after him with your whole heart. Seek after him. Try to look beneath the Christian subculture. Begin to take a global view of Jesus. Ask the question, what is it like to follow Jesus in a persecuted church in Iran? on the downtown east side, and in suburbia like we're in here. Don't take it at face value from one experience from the Christians that you grew up around in middle-class Langley. Ask the question, who is the Jesus revealed through his church and creation? Ultimately, who is the Jesus revealed in Scripture? He was seeking the real Jesus. He wanted to get a glimpse of him. But that's not the primary scandal of the story. The primary scandal of the story is that Jesus is seeking Zacchaeus. So, one of the themes in the New Testament is that Jesus seeks after the marginalized. I love that about Jesus. The story of the woman caught in adultery, there's this woman who's being, like, embarrassed in front of all these people. And Jesus defends her, invites her to follow him. The poor the blind. In chapter 18, children. Just the chapter before. The story before this is children coming to Jesus, marginalized. Those that don't have any power. And I love the Jesus that goes after the marginalized outsider. 
He goes after those who are being oppressed. But in this story, he goes after the ones who's oppressing the people. So here's what's going on with Zacchaeus' job. He's not just a tax collector. Matthew, who's one of Jesus' disciples, a tax collector. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. The way that he makes his money is he works within the Roman institution that taxes all the different people of Rome. And so in Jericho and broader Israel, Roman, Roman, the Roman government hires different people to actually tax the people. And what a chief tax collector like Zacchaeus would be doing is he would be extorting his employees. So he would be making money off his tax collectors as they extort the people for their own gain. And so check this out. A Jewish man working for the Roman government, robbing from his own people. But it gets worse than that. He's not just a rob, and this is why they grumble, right? Zacchaeus invites him over. Jesus says, I'm going to his house. And everyone grumbles, like, why are you hanging out with him? And on one level, you could be like, oh, those religious people, they don't get it. No, I don't get it. Why is he going to his house? And it would have been even more scandalous for the people in the story because he was working not just as an oppressor, he was actually fueling the very system that systematically oppressed them. Rome, oppressing the people of Israel. And for the religious worldview of a Jewish person, it wasn't just Israel versus Rome, it was Rome versus God. And so Zacchaeus is everything wrong, a betrayer of his own people, gaining from other people's loss. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. It's scandalous. And it's even more scandalous when you go two chapters earlier, no, one chapter earlier in chapter 18, which I preached on two years ago when I was here, about the rich young ruler. And here's the thing about the rich young ruler, and Luke wants us to see both of these side by side. The rich young ruler is a good person. He follows the law. He honors his mother and father. He probably pays his tithes at the temple. He does his offerings. He treats people well. And when he goes to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, sell everything you've got. And it says that he walked away from Jesus. And so what we see and what Luke wants us to see is that there's people who think they're in, but they're not in. And there's people who you think are so out, and he's in. This is scandalous. It's so scandalous. In the last line of the story, second to last line, today today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. This is the biggest statement of being in on the family of God. Jesus says to somebody who's persecuting the people of Israel, you're a son of Abraham. Abraham, the father of Israel, he goes, you're in. You're in. I was asked to spend the two days here talking about the gospel, which means the good news of Jesus. And I'm not really sure how to like sum it up. Tomorrow I want to talk about the liberating nature of the gospel. But today I just want to just highlight two things really quickly about the gospel. First is the gospel says that the kingdom of God is for everyone, no matter what you've done. And if you feel like an outsider, you might be a better candidate for the kingdom of God than if you feel like an insider. Like it seems as if Luke is saying that the sense that you have your religious life together, or even not your religious life, just your life together, is a bigger threat to receiving the message of Jesus 
than having a very sinful life. And it's as if Luke, if he was driving in my car with me to school, he would have said to Chris, Chris, it's the opposite. The message of Jesus is for you, the one who feels like you don't have it together and you don't belong. Second, who's the primary seeker in this story? I want to invite you to seek after Jesus, like really wrestle to find the real Jesus and invite him into that wrestle, like no matter where you're at in your walk with God, just to seek after him. I've been seeking Jesus for 15 years. And um, sometimes I'm really overwhelmed and sometimes feel really a lot of guilt and shame in my seeking, not seeking hard enough, not being all in enough. And there's seasons of passion, seeking after him, and then there can be seasons where it feels like there's just... I think the thing about this story that's most impacted my heart this week, and as I reflect on my last 15 years of following Jesus, is that the gospel is about seeking him, but it's more about the fact that he's seeking you. Luke wants you to see that the primary seeker is Jesus. A lot of the commentators on the book of Luke would say that Luke chapter 19, verse 10, which we read today, is the linchpin verse in all of the book of Luke. And it's this. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is the great seeker. In this story, he goes and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house to eat. And eating together is deeply symbolic in the Jewish culture for intimacy. And so for Luke to write, I'm coming to your house to eat, deeply profound. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, now we're at the very end of the Bible, says this, and it's the voice of Jesus. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. I thought the gospel was us seeking him. And there's an invitation to seek him. But the ultimate revelation of the gospel, the real good news, he's seeking you. And he says, behold, here I am. I stand at the door of your heart, and I'm knocking. And whoever lets me in, I'll come in. And I'll eat with you, and you'll eat with me. Let me pray. God, thanks that you honor, you honor earnest seeking. And so, God, I pray for my friends here who are seeking you, who are asking the tough intellectual questions, who are trying to get a real look at you, who are trying to sift through all the noise about Christianity that they've heard growing up and in their lives and on the news. God, I pray for the ones who are honestly seeking you in the spiritual sense, who are crying, saying, God, reveal yourself to me. God, I just pray that you would bless them and that you would honor them. God, I pray for those here who are followers of you, and like even in this new season of life in university, seeking you has a new dynamic, 
a new sense of ownership. And this is about my own walk with God. I just pray that you'd bless them in their seeking, that they would seek you with your, their whole heart and their whole lives. But God, more than any of those things, God, I pray that we'd have a revelation this morning of you seeking us. And God, you seeking those who feel like they're on the outside. God, we thank you for the good news. And God, I pray that we wouldn't be like the crowd who grumbles, that you welcome Zacchaeus. God, I'm frustrated thinking that you seem to privilege the oppressor. But God, I just find great comfort in the invitation I find in that reality that you're inviting me to eat with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message has challenged, encouraged, and inspired you as we continue learning and growing together in discipleship to Jesus. Every week, you'll find new chapel messages on our channel from local and international speakers ranging in diverse and engaging topics. So go ahead and subscribe for the latest of what's going on in chapel. Much love and happy listening.